This is The Catch-Up with Katya Herman and special guest, me. Hello, this is Katya Herman, and the voice you just heard was Laura Cortese, the phenomenal fiddler and songwriter. Laura is from San Francisco, California, and she tours the world with her band Laura Cortese and the Dance Cards, and they've just finished recording their first album. Sounds so official. That's very, that's very, very official. And you know what else is super official? We are here in the home recording studio of Mr. Gregory List. Hey! Hey, Greg. Thanks so much for having us. Greg is just kicking back with a glass of bourbon because this is a professional setup. (laughs) And that's how we do things. So, Laura, what would you love for people to know about your work? Well, specifically with respect to the dance cards, we are strings and voices indie folk, original songs. So we have me on fiddle and lead vocals. We have Jenna Moynihan on fiddle and vocals, Valerie Thompson on cello and vocals. Mm -hmm. And currently we're sort of rotating through a cast of great female bass players, upright bass players. So it's, it's a little bit of a string quartet with a twist, but the music is really in no way related to classical music. Nice. And what do you think people would be most surprised to learn about your work? Hmm. I, I, sometimes it depends on which part of my life they've known. You know, if if I grew up with them playing fiddle tunes at fiddle camp, they're sort of surprised to to know what I listen to. That in fact, I I tend to not listen to instrumental fiddle music like the rest of them. I tend to listen big to reveal. big reveal. You know, in fact. When we're in the car, there might be like an argument about what what are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to like a bunch of fiddles? And I'm like, no, that's not happening right now. We're going to listen to oldies and we're going to listen to R&B and we're going to listen to Feist and we're going to listen to, you know, Lucius. Uh, but Lucius. if you maybe know, um, you know, me working with something like Session Americana as a guest fiddle player, which I did for quite a while, you might be surprised to know that I wasn't a nerdy fiddle kid that did nothing but memorize Martin Hayes, you know, <laughs> bowing patterns when I was, you know, ages 14 to 17. Nice. So what would you say helped you or made you choose what it is that you do now? It's been a long, long journey, but the Boston scene has been a really big part of it, specifically that there is a really rich fiddle tradition here that I can be a part of. Going to Berkeley College of Music, There were so many different genres and people doing so many different things that were very inspiring. But when I graduated from Berkeley, I met this songwriting community. And the big difference between the songwriting community and the traditional fiddle community was that songwriters are there to be independent and, you know, say what they they have to say as an individual. Mm. And the fiddle community is much more about what tunes do we all know together? What how can we party and jam together in, in this moment? And there is some intersection with songwriters wanting to share more with each other and share the new songs that they've written. And um, I, I wanted to be a part of that community, and I thought, well, I, I guess maybe I should start writing songs. And I didn't do that till after really graduating and, and thinking I was going to be, you know, a Celtic fiddler or whatever that was. <laughs> yeah. So it came from that drive just to share what was important to you in that moment and this sense of like sharing ideas beyond like a communal and like collective canon of pre-existing music? That as well as just wanting to be a part of what was going on even for a brief period of time there's a great bluegrass scene here in Boston and I wasn't really going to learn how to play the bluegrass fiddle so I was like I'll play the bass and so similarly songwriting came out of 
my friends were songwriters, so in order to be a bigger part of that community, I tried my hand at writing songs and, and could share that with them. Love it. Okay, so now we're going to get into the, like the nitty-gritty portion of this interview. All right. All right, so my first question on that note is, what is your go-to breakfast to <laughs> set you up for a good day of work? You know, I uh, today I had oatmeal. With, <laughs> so healthy, so admirable. Roasted uh, almond slivers, a few. I threw some strawberries in there, but any fruit will do. And I always put cardamom in it. I've this week I've put mm-hmm. in a little dash of vanilla extract also. Um, <laughs> nice. This is some like high end artisanal oatmeal. Yeah, but the thing is, I really also like a, a good smoothie in the morning. It's just been a bit too cold lately in New England to you know put some frozen berries in a blender. Wait, so is the cardamom thing, is that a nod to your love of the Nordic It is, it is. World? Oh my gosh. Well, I've, I went to Sweden, you know, once in college and then I didn't go for quite a long time. I went again three years ago and was very pleasantly surprised by instead of a cinnamon roll, they have the cardamom abulad, which is a cardamom roll, basically exactly like a cinnamon roll, but with cardamom. Come to find out that the town in Italy where my dad was born and where our, our family comes from, they also have cardamom desserts. It's like in my genes to like this. But um, but oh, I, I totally fell in love, and now I pretty much put cardamom in everything that I previously used cinnamon for. I think I've had a cardamom roll made by you, and it is mm. no exaggeration to say that it was life-changing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so in honor of your Mediterranean heritage, maybe I wonder if you were a kind of late riser late sleeper or if you try to stick to a more kind of Scandinavian schedule of early to bed, <laughs> early to rise? Good, good question. You know, I, I've i been traveling so much lately in so many different time zones. In fact, I, I came back from Europe less than a week ago and I leave again in just a few days to go back <sighs> to Europe. I kind of don't know necessarily, but I think what tends to happen for me is that I wake up around 7.30 no matter where I am in mm-hmm. the world and no matter how much sleep I got. If I'm very sleep deprived, I might force myself back to sleep again. Um, but I tend to be a good 7.30 a.m. riser, and I find myself tired at 10 or 11 at night. Mm-hmm. I don't always go to sleep then, but I'm a champion car napper, sort of oh, sleep ninja. I'm also a cha- yeah. champion party napper. I don't care what's going on. I love falling asleep in the center of a party on the couch. It's the most relaxing noise, I think. I completely agree. There is no better sound than like just like chit chat around you and like people chuckling. And yeah, I feel like friendly voices glasses. that you know. And so I, I tend to do that. And sometimes I'll even rally again and come back to the later part of the party. But nice, a little disco nap. Exactly. I love it. So when you wake up at 7.30 in the morning, do you then have a set morning routine or is it do you just take it day by day depending on? <laughs> it's funny. I, I would say, no, of course I don't have a set morning routine, but um, my roommate, in the past, including one of your previous guests, oh yeah, Ellie Buckland, she was like, what are you talking about, Laura? You definitely have a morning routine. And she's right. I wake up, I drink a glass of water, I put the tea kettle on, I drink my cup of tea, I probably, you know, check my email, listen to music, do something in that period of time. That's not necessarily important. But in the next 30 minutes, I put on my oatmeal. I roast my <laughs> almonds. <laughs> I eat my oatmeal. Wait, 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 wait. These are self-roasted almonds? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very easy. Just Wait, just quickly, just tell me about it. Okay, that. well, it's 
easiest if you take the almond slivers that have already been cut so you don't have to cut okay. the almonds. And then you just take a nonstick skillet or you could take a iron skillet if you have that and you throw the almonds on, you keep it on low heat and you just every once in a while don't forget and you go over and you toss them. And eventually most of them are brown and crispy. And one of my favorite sounds is when you take your oatmeal, you take your oatmeal out, right, it's in the bowl, and then you put your almonds on it or you take like maple syrup out of the fridge and you pour that over it and you hear the sizzle of the hot almonds and the cold maple syrup. Whoa. It's a great sound. If this was Greg just gave that a big thumbs up. I feel like Greg <laughs> is intimately familiar with that sound. <laughs> wow. If this was a more professional podcast operation, I would have like pre-prepared like a little sound clip <laughs> to play at that moment of just like freshly sizzling. Now almonds. you all have to try it at home so you can know what we're talking about. Wow. Well, I'm definitely going to. Okay, cool. So back, so once you've sizzled your almonds, <laughs> the maple syrup is done. And where in the day does the songwriting fit in? You know, it's fun. I kind of, I'm more of a, I might be a very compartmentalized person in, in certain ways, but I would say it, it ebbs and flows. So there are certain portions of the year or periods of time where I really decide to to write a lot and so it might happen um just following that it 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 definitely works best if i get some kind of creativity going in the morning if i let the business creep in it's very mm. hard to take a break and write so uh mm. even if it's just to write in my journal or something in the morning but I, i'll go through whole periods of time where i i just sort of stay focused on the business and then i'll think to myself, it has been far too long since I've written a song. And so I'll usually call up a friend and somehow make a commitment between me and the friend to write something, whether it's to exchange assignments or to plan on showing up. Like I'll even make a plan like, hey, can we let's meet up and show we show our new songs to each other. Full well knowing I don't have a new song (laughs) when I make the plan. But that plan in and of itself makes me find the time to do it. Oh, cool. I love that. I always intend, I always have the grandest intentions of like going to cafes with friends, like do some writing or get all my emails done. And then I always get too wrapped up in like the chatting of the day and the dissecting of the things that I never get anything done. Yeah. I find for me, it's like, it doesn't even have to be, the person doesn't have to be present. It's more like I'll email them or call them and say like, Hey, do you want to meet up on this day or tomorrow Mm. or whatever? And then in my alone time, I'll do the writing. I have done um, a sort of some things where it's more like uh, me and a friend will for a certain amount of time both both write. I, I listen to your podcast with Ellie and she does this with her roommate too where, okay, for an hour we're going to go write and then we're going to come share. It wasn't exactly the same structure, but I've mostly done that with friends remotely. So someone that I find inspiring and we both want to be held accountable, we'll like either call each other at the beginning of the day and we'll give each other an assignment and a set amount of time. And then we'll call each other again on Skype or something at the later part of the day and share what we did, Hmm. but not necessarily in the same time and space. I love that. Okay. So that sense of accountability is really important. It's huge for me. Like Hmm. I definitely, I'm just a goal oriented person. I've spent a lot of my life trying to be more in love with the process, but I I find that process just doesn't even begin unless I set some parameters and a goal. (laughs) Yes, that is, I feel like that is probably resonating for 
anyone who will listen to that. <laughs> okay, so this is where people can get a little bit heated sometimes. So, you know, be warned. I am Italian. Watch out. <laughs> so what are your preferred tools of the trade? Like, do you have, like, set stationery mm. or items that you'll use? You know, I, I, I'm not a things person. Like I, put I, me in my place. I didn't, I mean, no, I, I just, I want to be, like, I'll go buy a beautiful pen and then I'll maybe use it a little bit probably lose it. Um, oh God, I do love a good journal. But again, sometimes I find if the journal is too beautiful, I don't want to ruin it. Mm. Um, I, I l- will use whatever tools are around me. And I sometimes I'll open a new journal and, um, you know, make myself scribble maybe a free write to sort of muck it up and then I can use it. But I often find that I start writing a song like even on my iPhone. Mm. Just I'm out and about and I start to write something down. Maybe then I'll finish it on um, in a journal. But I usually have like several journals and it's like I grab whatever one is nearest to me. And I mean I there's nothing better than a very beautiful journal. But it doesn't always inspire my writing. I do like Mm. Le Pen. It's very comfortable to write with. It's very, it's almost like a, you know, like a felt tip, very fine. Um, I like that. I use it mostly for my postcard writing <laughs> than my Aww. actual um, songwriting. Yeah. Nice. I can't so st- if the, the beautiful journal doesn't do it for you, if that's not the seat of inspiration, are there any, like, go-to things that if you're in a slump or if you're just, like, mm. in need of a quick bolt that you will get that, like, shot of inspiration from? I, I think for me it goes – a lot of my writing has come – some of my best writing has come from actual structural assignments. Mm. So whether I gave myself the assignment or someone else gave me the assignment or I created an assignment for myself out of what I heard someone else talk about with the song they wrote, I just force myself to write a song within a structure or within a concept. And usually – I mean I might not like the song or I might like the song, but just – doing it, just getting to the end of the day and saying, wow, I made something today. Mm. I Then the next day I wake up with enough inspiration to maybe follow something that I feel more intimately connected with. But I've found in any assignment that I've given myself, I, like, I can't keep myself out of it. Like no matter how the structure of the concept seems distant from whatever I'm processing at the time, I always end up in it. Hmm. And I can't keep my own sort of psychology or my own story out of it, even if it, you know, feels tangential at the beginning. Nice. So it's like that kind of internally driven inspiration that you can always find. Yeah, it makes its way through. It, it, like you do, you find a connection point. Um, there was one assignment that I got from a friend that was like you that I think actually came from a Ryan Adams like article. I think that's where she got it, but. You take a word from a reference book, you write it on a piece of paper. You take a line that sounds nice, like almost open any piece of prose or poetry, find a line. You change two words of that line of prose or poetry, and then you write to connect those two ideas. So it's it's completely random. Like you put your finger down in the, you know, reference book. And one time I, I did it with, um, it was like the word I got was village green. And then I opened up uh a book by Patti Smith, and I got, when I was a girl in New Jersey, there wasn't time for daydreaming. And 
those were, you know, seemingly random, but I ended up, you know, putting them together, writing a whole story that was kind of about the idea of of um, people who live in service. I've spent a lot of time mm-hmm. doing cultural diplomacy work and going to places like India or Bangladesh where, you know, younger people than us uh, live their whole lives in, in service. But what what came to the end of the whole song when I wrapped it up after making up this whole, you know, fictional story, I what it came down to was my own desire to take time out of my day to not just always be working, to not always mm. be goal-oriented. And I, when I got to that last verse and I wrote it, I was like, oh, man, like I made up this entire fictional story, <laughs> but there I am in that last line that every person probably just wants to find a way to see a beautiful thing in their day and to have that moment, that quiet moment that they're just able to observe and not um, be focused on whatever task they're trying to accomplish today. Hmm. That actually brings me neatly to asking you about, because um, I know that you've done a lot of this cultural diplomacy work with the American Music Abroad is it yeah. Association. Is that what it's called? And I think it's program, maybe. Program. program. And that there's been murmurings of that program being under threat with a new government that comes yeah. in very, very soon. So I was wondering yeah. if there was any experiences from that that you wanted to talk about or that would the word perhaps resonate with people as to why that kind of work is important yeah well I mean I would be very surprised if the program did um did lose its ground in that it's been going on since the 60s the very first like continuously the very first program was actually with Louis Armstrong and he went to Egypt Mm -hmm. um and I I the program is incredible because because the people that are working in it are foreign service officers that are there in other countries are just very clear that our best ways of of making the world in a certain way seem smaller, making more people feel connected and similar to each other, which is, I think, the road to a, a generally more accepting, peaceful world. Um, like, no matter what side of politics they're on, they all seem to agree that this is the most effective way of of human-to-human contact is through arts. And um, some of the programs, a similar program to doing American Music Abroad, the same cultural diplomacy work can be done with culinary arts, mm-hmm. visual arts, you know, dance, anything that is just has to do with general human expression, something that exists in all cultures and people sharing that with each other. You end up having the conversation of, hey, we're, we're really all looking for the same things in life. We're all just trying to build a, a sort of sustainable life and joyful life for ourselves. Neatly put. That's, <laughs> nice. That's really nice. So would you say, so the, your favorite thing about your job, would you say it's like seeking that point of connection? Absolutely. I have... I kind of put the answer in your mouth there. Yeah, no, but absolutely. <laughs> it, it's I, I, I definitely, before my first um, American Music Abroad trip, I had recently gone through a divorce and I was, when you go through something very dramatic and Mm -hmm. traumatic like that, you, uh, I think most people re-examine their life and not Mm -hmm. just their relationship, but they take stock and say, am I, am I really in the right field? Am I in the right city? 
are my friends right? Like you're looking at everything. And going on that tour really helped me say, yeah, of course there are other bands that maybe have better songs. There are other singers that are better. There are fiddle players that are better. There are bands that are tighter. But there is something that happens when when I get in front of a room, especially a room that doesn't speak the same language as me or that doesn't know anything about fiddle music, where I am able to connect and that my band is able to connect that isn't easy for every every band. Mm-hmm. Um, and having conversations, like I really enjoy language. Like I'm not fluent in any other language than English, but every country I go to, I spend my whole time there like trying to learn as many phrases. I definitely learn you know, as few phrases to be able to communicate to the audience in their own language. I enjoy that connection in in the U.S. too, you know, meeting people. But it's really stark, like, what the purpose of it is when you're on one of those tours and that there is a goal that I'm fulfilling and that I'm good at. Lovely. And so how would you define, at the end of the day, how would you say, yes, this has been a good or a successful day? (laughs) I mean, I definitely connect to the idea of having been creative in the day always leaves you feeling good. Um, And I don't always give myself that Mm. opportunity. But, but, yeah, finding a little time, ultimately creativity, even though I'm a songwriter and even though it could serve my business Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the moment when you're creating, you don't, it's not that connected to that part of it, the business part of it. So when you do express yourself or even not even complete a song, but start a song, it can feel very fulfilling. But also, as nerdy as it sounds, when I kind of get through a lot of things on my to-do list, (laughs) if I have a to-do list and I mark a lot of them off, like a good portion of, or even all of them, feel real good <laughs> nice and is that a handwritten list or is that oh it's handwritten list? well no that's not you know sometimes it's on my iphone too again okay. i'm not my process is a little bit <laughs> you're flexible each day no, each day new, new thing that's good okay so this is maybe a tricky question maybe not um what has been your favorite failure so one that you can look back on and say <sighs> i got through that i am therefore unstoppable divorce obviously mm-hmm. uh i really did when it happened did not expect it. Um, and I do, I remember this moment when, and I remember talking to my mom who also went through a divorce about just, oh God, I just felt so sad. And she said, you know, you're going to wake up one day and it's going to come out of nowhere and you're going to feel really happy again. Mm-hmm. And I remember that day where I, I just was like driving in my car somewhere and I was like, oh my God, I actually, I, it's, oh my God, inside, I feel happy again. And I totally started crying because I was like, oh my God. But but it, when I came back to that, it was like, I'm me again. Okay, I went through this thing. I, you know, people talk a lot about resilience, but I, I really feel proud of how I got through it. I feel uh, proud about how I didn't get derailed in, in many aspects of my life that I could have mm-hmm. been. And that I am where I want to be and I am, my life is good and I am happy. Uh, even though, you know, that was a hard thing to let go of the one dream that you had with this one person. Yeah. Nice. That's a good one though. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you can get through anything. You can. Yeah. You can do it. Okay. So finding a balance between, you know, you talk about having a good life and being happy between one's work and one's 
real life, yes. quote unquote, can be really challenging, yes. I think, for a lot of us. And do you have any kind of hot tips for how to make that balance work? I mean, I do imagine it's it's different for for everyone. <laughs> I think just having, even focusing on that, even knowing that that's a question mm. is probably the most important and first step because there are times in my life when I just was like, I just have to get all this done. And I wasn't thinking about like pleasure versus productivity, you know, and mm. I, yeah. I was just thinking about productivity. And so as soon as you ask yourself that question, you're going to find you're you're gonna find that path, but for me, it it started with looking at days of the week where nothing was gonna get done. That I could give myself permission to take time off. And even though you know we're not necessarily a particularly religious group, the uh, the old like indie folk scene, <laughs> nobody works on Sunday. You send an email on Sunday, you're not gonna get an answer on Sunday. And if you send an email on Sunday, you're also not gonna get an answer on Tuesday. So wait and send it on Tuesday. Hmm. Don't work on Sunday or I don't work on Sunday if I'm not doing a show because nothing's going to get done. And I was like, oh, this is a day I can have for me. I can take a walk. I can go. I can do all the things that I want to do. I can run. And similarly, there's, uh, you know, the time between Christmas and New Year. Nobody does anything. Nothing happens. Nobody replies to you. Just don't don't worry about it. Take Mm -hmm. that time off. Don't do anything. Because you get to. It's, it's a freebie. You're not getting behind by not doing it. That's where it, it sort of all started for me. And those, those things made me realize how good I felt when I took that time. And mm-hmm. so I started to focus on what do I do when I have that time. And for me, like running is a big thing. This year I bought a bicycle. And I just I, I use my bike to get everywhere. And that gives me a lot of space because when Even you're on your – snow? Well, I just got home and it's now snowing. Right. So I'm planning on – because all my friends said, you don't want to ruin your nice bike in the snow. I'm going to – I think I'm going to get a mountain bike and I'm going to get studded tires. Ooh. I'm leaving again so soon that I might not do it on in this, you know, 10 days when I'm here. So when I get yeah. back in, in February, I'm, I'm planning to do this and try to ride in, even in the snow. But just – the days that I'm happiest, I often associate with my time in Europe. And I thought to myself, what is that? Why is that? And I said, well, I don't drive the entire time I'm there, mostly. I take public mm-hmm. transportation. I'm on the train. I ride a bicycle. Yeah. So when I come home, if I'm not on tour, if I don't have to lug a ton of stuff yeah. from place to place, I try to ride my bike. My life's so much happier, especially just, sure, maybe it takes 25 minutes instead of 20 minutes once you think about how long it takes you to park. Um, and But instead of, like, focusing, uh, listening to the radio, I'm, I'm, like, connected to the weather. And if I'm actually on a bike path, I don't have to focus anywhere near as much as I have to in a car. If I'm on the road, I do have to focus a bit. But it seems somehow more relaxing than being in a car. Absolutely. Do you know, my little chunk of writing for this week's newsletter is actually all about how I learned to ride a bike Whoa! as an adult. No way! Yeah. Completely. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It is no exaggeration, my proudest accomplishment. Yes. Um, and my favorite thing. So I'm so happy to hear you talk about oh, how I, much you love it too. I did it because I was like, why am I so happy? And, you know, and I'll, or like, why, why am I 
driving myself in my touring minivan around town, feeling guilty about using fuel, and I thought it would be a practical thing. And But when I got on it, I was just like, this is so fun. Why did I not ride a bike for 10 years? Yeah, it's flying. It's like yeah, flying. it's like flying. Oh. <laughs> Man, that's so great. So, okay, so do you have any other hobbies or passions outside of your work on these sacred days that you take for yourself? Well, what else happens? This year, I borrowed a film camera uh, specifically because I ha- I met a, a nice young man, um, and we had a little romantic exchange of mm-hmm. postcards going through the mail, which was very seemed like a very analog romance. We yeah. sent letters, you know, this sort of thing, and I thought we were going on a trip together, and I thought. Wow, that would be so lame if all we did was take cell phone like selfies mm. when we're on this trip together. And we met in May, and our trip wasn't until October. And so I was like, "Well, I'm going to learn how to take film photos." And I, I did worry briefly that I was like the Lake Street Dive joke of the year, bad self portraits, like could be <laughs> my future. But I thought I, um, it, you know, I thought I would do it just so that we had these physical memories. And again, similar to my bike where I had this very like intellectualized reason I was doing it, yeah. I had so much fun. I, I, it's way more fun than any, you know, digital photo I've ever taken, just using film and like the gamble of it all and not knowing how it's going to turn out yeah. and uh, sort of, you know, waiting for it to be developed to find out if you got it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've now been taking the camera with me everywhere since May, and I pretty steadily is there's film in it. So it's even on a day where I'm working, I'll, like, take a moment to, like, capture a few shots. And I have been just I, – I just love every photo so much more. And it, it's made my um, maybe frequency of posting in my – you know, social media world go down <laughs> because I'm waiting for the next good film photo that I'm going to have digitized that I'm going to post instead of the, you know, and I like try to take a photo with my phone and I'm like, ugh, ugh, ugh. Yeah. But, but I really am, I'm loving it. So it's like a filterless world. It's a filterless world. I actually, mm. I don't, I don't use filters. Even you could have like a real analog filter on the camera, but I'm just natural light, no flash. (laughs) Okay, so it's my last question. Oh my gosh. I know. And it is, what is the best piece of advice that somebody has ever given you? I mean, the best piece of advice anyone's ever given me, what I'm thinking right now, I'm sure someone must have given me this advice. I can't attribute it to someone, but it's a way that I live my life and I'm sure I'm sure I was counseled to do this, <laughs> probably by my mother, maybe my grandmother. Um, but just always make a decision. Not that you shouldn't hesitate a little, but just make the decision. If you've made the wrong decision, you will know and you can remedy it. You don't have to wait till you actually, you know, you're act- absolutely certain that it's the right decision. Making the decision and moving in a direction tells you, a lot of the information you need to know. I love that. Laura, thank you so much for making the decision to join me <laughs> here tonight and for sharing so much of your insight, your wisdom, your experience. Thank you for with asking us me. Here at the catch up. And 
we're going to finish up now with some music. So yeah. that is it from me, and I will see you next week. <laughs> Mama's been tired She ain't slept in a week Baby's been crying All night Squeak, squeak, squeak me I'm fine I ain't got nowhere to go Except downtown to dance Let heal the toe Daddy's been quiet He don't talk to anyone He's got things to do
California's calling to me. She's calling to us all. California sleeps so pretty. Her knees tucked in behind a bed. California gets so lonely, sleeping out there on the edge. She wakes to watch the orange sunrise, lying there in the bandit's bed. your bed what did you get tell me are you all in when said and done will you have one as your luck running Cascading mountains in between That rocky scar holds us together The cowboy king and his golden queen